The music's on, the disco ball has dropped, and it's time to get this party started. You're listening to episode three of Disco Trek, a Star Trek Discovery After Party podcast here on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. I'm your host, Heather Barker, and with me at the turntable is my co-host, the only Gorn safe from the wrath of Captain Lorca, I hope, Jeff Hewlett. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? Well, tonight I may actually sound a little more like a Gorn. Uh, I'm a little <laughs> under the weather. Forgive me, everybody out there, for my voice sounding a little nasal or hoarse. But uh, you may get a little of the real Santa Gorn here tonight. You're just going to grunt, grunt all your responses. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, glad to have you here by my side. For those who aren't familiar with the podcast, we're a community-based Star Trek discotheque of sorts focusing on each episode of Star Trek Discovery as they air. Tonight, we'll be discussing episode four, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, perhaps the most epic title in all of Star Trek history. (laughs) With us to talk about the episode are two members of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook, which is the exclusive gateway to gain admission onto the show. Our first guest did exactly that. After finding us on Twitter and joining the group, our great friend and returning guest, Carl Wonders. Carl, thanks so much for joining the group and congrats on us on winning a spot on the show. Welcome. Thanks so much, Heather. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you back to talk about Star Trek Discovery and not the Orville. Uh, Our next guest appeared on episode 25 of Shore Leave, our Star Trek convention community podcast. That episode was titled Managing Conventions with Anxiety. Our friend from both the Nerd Party and Trekmate Networks, that is Matt Hansen. Matt, welcome back and congratulations on winning. I'm so excited to be here. You know, it's been years since I've gone club hopping, but if I have to go back to any discotheque, the Star Trek discotheque is definitely where it's at. So I'm very (laughs) pleased to be here. Nice. Thank you. We are the grooviest place to talk about discovery out on the intranets, and we will get to that in just a moment. But first, we have some announcements from our DJs. That's Jeff and me. As we've mentioned, Disco Trek is community-focused and evolved from our desire to give fans in our convention community a way to talk about discovery. So to enter for your chance to join us, make sure you're a member of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. Once you do that, you'll see a new post every Tuesday with a Disco Trek image and information on the following Monday's recording time. Just comment on that post to be entered and we'll use a random generator to pick two winners on the following Saturday. Once you've been on the podcast, you can't enter again, but there are ways to be part of the discussion. Jeff, do you want to tell people how to do that? Sure. So I uh, will make an additional post on the Monday following the broadcast of Discovery on CBS All Access asking for your comments that we may include at the end of that night's recording. And also you can call into the show and leave a two minute voicemail up to two minute voicemail at 609-512-LLAP. That's 5527. So 609-512-5527. Heather? Do you want to let people know a little bit about our Patreon and what we've got going on? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, we do have a Patreon page. We've mentioned it before on the show. Uh, You can find it at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions, or you can visit our websites, uh, thetricordertransmissions.com or shortleavepodcast.com and click on the Patreon link to get there. Uh, If you like what we do here on Disco Trek or any of the Tricorder shows, please consider supporting us. And we've just 
released our first uh, reward level for all patrons of the show, and it's available now on the Patreon site. Um, it's the pre-release access to unedited versions of our shows. So, for instance, this show we're recording right now, which everybody will get access to tomorrow, will be available to patrons of our show tonight, immediately after we record this in an unedited format. And we're going to be releasing some back catalog stuff uh, as well, some unedited versions of our back catalog. In fact, there's a an unedited version of our recent Doug Drexler interview also posted for patrons on our Patreon site right now. And, oh, before we forget, we have some shout-outs to some new patrons. We have Bill Smith from the Trek Geeks podcast. Thanks so much for supporting us, Bill. Our uh, co-administrator and the Facebook group, Jesse Okendo, and great friend of the show and STLV attendee, Mr. Josh Duffy. Thanks to all of you for being patrons of our show. Yeah, we're very, very appreciative of your support. Thank you so, so much. So now that we've got all that out of the way, it's time to talk about discovery. Uh, please keep in mind that from this point forward, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't watched last night's episode, uh, go ahead, put us on pause, go watch it and get yourself back so you can listen to the discussion. Um, just a quick rundown of the show. Uh, our show is a general discussion about the episode that's segmented into three parts. We have Drop the Record, which will be opening remarks and reactions to the episode, Play a New Track, which uh, is where we'll explore what we learn that's new about the Star Trek universe, and Spin It Again is where we'll look back at standout moments, scenes, characters, anything that we feel needs a little bit more attention. So without further ado, Let's go ahead and drop the record. Let's talk about our reactions to last night's episode. Uh, Matt, why don't you start us off and, and tell us what you think? Well, you know, guys, I've just been loving this series. I, I, I know people have had some problems with it. They, you know, the darkness hasn't, hasn't, um, meshed with everyone but this is exactly kind of what i wanted from a star trek series that it, it made now and um because i'm a huge fan of ds9 and this feels to me like ds9 taken to the next level in the 21st century uh but as far as the episode last night goes what i really admired about it and i had this feeling last week too with context just for kings but what i liked about it is that it's still the new Star Trek, as in like what Discovery is trying to do different with the universe. But, you know, they're starting to incorporate more and more of the themes from from past series where you have, you know, for example, a monstrous creature that isn't what it seems. It's very Horda like really just the deepening of the characters. I, I, I'm so on board for this series so far. And I had a I love this episode. Awesome. Carl, what about you? So I, I definitely agree with, with Matt about, you know, liking the series overall. I actually think this one didn't quite hit the bar as much as the previous episodes did for me. And a lot of it is, I think, the problems that typically come out of a serialized storytelling where you have all these balls in the air, but you're not quite getting full pictures of anything that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, that said... I also think this was, and Matt alluded to this too, that I, I really felt like this was the most Star Trek episode we've had so far, mm -hmm. um, as far as the main story goes with with the the, the tardigrade creature. And and I even did write, you know, Horda-like in, in my notes as well. So we're right on the same page with that, um, where you have this seemingly monstrous creature that isn't really as monstrous as we all think it is. Overall, relatively positive as far as the, the, the story goes, but there are definitely some... 
problems I have with it that we can certainly get to down the road. Awesome. So I, because I know Jeff so well, and I know that his favorite episode is Devil in the Dark, we've had two mentions of the Horta. Jeff, would you agree with Carl and Matt? Yes. Um, so I, I did wind up liking this episode more than the previous one. Um, still, like uh, Matt said, it's still it's still dark, but I, I like the focus on the technology and making things work. And of course, it is it does bear some similarities to Devil in the Dark. And anybody who's listened to the Tricorder before would know that that is my favorite episode and Jim Morehouse, by the way. Um, and I think that one of the reasons why this episode resonated more with me is because it really brought up a, a real world issue that's close to my heart. And I mean, Heather too, I know you, you're, you're passionate about animal cruelty. So mm -hmm. I like the fact that they set up the moral dilemma with this God machine that they're making. that's supposed to help them win the war with this incredible technology, but there's a price that they have to pay for, for using it. And, and that is damaging or killing this poor creature. I'm already team Ripper on this one. So and I'm sure that when some of the other characters on the show come up on the opposite side of that argument, I'm going to start to dislike them more. <laughs> but um, I, I'm sure Lorca is going to stand on the other side of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I definitely like the fact that Burnham was curious enough and compassionate enough, despite her Vulcan training, to find this creature's gentle side, even though it was clearly the only way to make that technology that they need to defeat the Klingons, or so they think they need, to make that work. So it's a really interesting tug of war in my mind, and I really like that. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of, of what everyone said here, because I definitely... <sighs> I'll just say the first time that I that I watched the episode, I did not want to go back and watch it again. Um, every night I sit down and I just watch the, you know, I, I sit down, I watch the episode, I, you know, let it all sink in. I don't take notes or anything like that. Uh, and then I, I go back for my second watch where I take notes and pause and reflect and stuff like that. And unlike Context for Kings, where I just wanted to watch that like four times in a row, I didn't want to go back and rewatch this one. And I think that a very large part of that was the eventual abuse of the tardigrade. And Carl made a good point and that because this is not episodic, we didn't get a resolution there. And so what I really struggled with was watching, watching Ripper, which I hate the name Ripper. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just want to, yeah, yeah. Felt so out of place. Well, um, let's not for. I mean, also too, it was given that name by someone who you know of questionable character to say the least, who yeah. despised the creature. So it wasn't the name that that like Burnham gave it that yeah. name. I yeah. wish that it. I wish that it had been, <laughs> because it's just uh, it's just brash, and I'm like, ah, I don't like it. But watching it in distress and watching. Burnham know that it was in distress. I kept waiting. I kept waiting for her to take action, especially from a character who we know is reactionary. Like she is used to, she sees something that's wrong. She wants to take action right away. And I, I know that she couldn't do that because reasons, right? She can't go free it from the chamber in the middle of a, a jump because that could put them all at risk and potentially maybe destroy the ship. We don't know, but 
I, you know, I, I feel like in a, in a regular episode of Star Trek, that's what would have happened. She mm-hmm. would have intervened. She would have saved the creature. And, you know, in the end, we all would have had this understanding that, yes, the creature is not a monster and everybody, you know, lives happily ever after, like in Devil in the Dark. And that's not what happened here. And so for me to go back and have to rewatch that, I really wasn't looking forward to it. And I think that part of that goes even into a bigger picture of the episode where in the beginning, the character that named Ripper, um, Landry, right? Is she, is she Commander Landry? Yeah, Commander Landry. Uh, Right. So, so we met her in the last episode and I think the general reception of Landry was that we don't like her. (laughs) Nor are we supposed to, I don't think. Right. There's, there's not really anything likable about her. You know, I, I love seeing the presence of all these strong women characters on the show. So even though I didn't like her, I was still intrigued by what they were going to do with her and, you know, her interaction with Lorca, we kind of thought, Oh, well maybe there's something going on there. And then I had read that, Oh yeah, there's, you know, there's going to be some development there. So when we see her, you know, walk in and, sedate the creature and then go for the weapon. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I immediately knew what was going to happen. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and then she's dead. And I, I kind of felt like the whole point of her being there was just pretty pointless. Um, and it really frustrated me because I was disappointed to see a character that maybe I didn't like, but I wanted to know more about, that I just met one episode ago be gone in this episode. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. I mean, I this is a, one of the issues I have, I think, with serialized storytelling. And they even said, you know, everything's up for grabs. Anyone can go at any point. And, you know, t- I think it's especially unfortunate to have another female character of color be the one that gets off. You had yeah. Captain Giorgio in, in the first two episodes. And obviously this is... Commander Landry is obviously not a similar character. She's not a likable character. Right. And the, the sense I'm getting, I mean, I, I haven't done an exact head count here, but, you know, the the you kind of have the Captain Lorca side of things, and I think you have what's going to become the Commander Burnham or former Commander Burnham side of things uh, with the crew. And I'm almost smelling kind of a Admiral Pressman Phoenix That's... scenario here. That's exactly where, what I think too. Yeah, where where they're going to turn on the captain eventually, the crew is because he's do, he's forcing them to do this experimental, mm. almost uh, form, means of travel that may be dangerous and and doesn't really care, and it's all in the name of advancing Starfleet's cause in a war, um, yeah. a real war this time as opposed to a cold war with Pressman's case. But it seems like that's the way, and we're slowly offing the characters who are going to be sympathetic to Lorca um I would not be surprised if by the end of next episode Stamets is on Burnham's side I, I there was a scene that I was going to bring up in, our, in the next segment that you know clearly he's changing his opinion of Burnham uh, I think and, well Stam- uh, Stamets never liked Lorca to begin with that was pretty true clear too. last week mm-hmm. yeah and, uh, and I liked the fact that in this episode, we did get some answers to some of the questions posed last week. Um, we know that the Discovery was a science vessel, um, is no longer a science vessel, a science vessel and is now a warship, which I think, you know, we all assumed from the last episode. Yeah. Um, and that Stamet said, you know, 
that's not the mission I signed up for. I'm mm-hmm. not a soldier. Um, and that the entire ship was designed around his scientific specialty. So this ship and um, the Glen then were desi- designed specifically for this displacement activated spore hub drive experiment, we'll say it is. Right. Uh, which I kind of meant to mention in the next the next part, but definitely in that those interactions, um, we start to see a bit more of Stamets's, you know, true character, as I'll call it. You know, last last week on the on Disco Trek, I tried to take the side of Stamets and saying, you know, they're they're in a war that he did he didn't sign up for. And so that's why I, I really understood why he was not being the nicest person ever. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely nice to see that interaction with Burnham and then to actually see his true love of fungus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's what I liked about him this week is that you saw more of the love of science with him, which I think is going to be that character's not saving grace, but like one of his uh, more um, pleasing features. Um, because I, I got last week that, yeah, he's a little off-putting, but with the development he got this week, I can kind of see that, you know, they're in the middle of the war. And he's also upset that like this, because I'm willing to bet he didn't, he didn't design the spore drive to be used in the war. He designed it to, to right. further Starfleet's mm-hmm. mission. Now he's being forced to use his greatest discovery, no pun intended as, <laughs> as a weapon of war. Yeah. And g- given how he feels about being a soldier in general. Yeah. I would think that would make him upset. Yeah. And then once he realizes that it's actually taking a toll uh, on their uh, supercomputer brain for it, I think he's going to be even less apt to want to use it for the war yep. effort. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this kind of leads me into the next section. If you guys are ready to move on. What sure. Do you think? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. So let's let's move over to play a new track where we explore what we learn new about the Star Trek universe. So I don't know about you guys. Um, the first time that that I watched the episode, I had a bit of difficulty during the Klingon scenes catching up with all of the captioning yes. or the the dialogue. Oh, I'm just saying. I'm gonna. I'm glad you're bringing this up because I know this is a problem that a lot of people have. And while I do kind of understand, I mean, my 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 feeling on on the Klingons just speaking Klingon to each other is that their whole motivation for going to war is to you know it's to remain Klingon. It's a, it's about ethnic purity and uh, racial purity. So I think it would be weird to have a war based around those motivations, but they still speak the language of the enemy to each other. Yeah, we can talk about it a little bit more. Um, I definitely, I see both sides. I I really love it. And I feel like it makes them even better and definitely more alien and even more menacing. But so what happened, I would watch and then I wouldn't catch all of it. I'd move on to the next thing. So I lost some of the dialogue. So when I went back for my second watch, um, I turned on the closed captioning. And that's where I discovered that they eat human (laughs) beings and i know that they're starving and so they really needed to eat anything but it was really difficult to come to terms with the fact that they ate my beloved captain georgiou i know but it's it's like you said here's the thing i've always loved the klingons but if we're completely honest with ourselves throughout most of the time we know them they're all they're, they're a bunch of 
I don't want to say this like completely negatively, but they're a bunch of posers. They like to, <laughs> they like to like talk a big game. They like to throw their weight around, but I've never really been scared of them. The thought yeah. that the thought that they eat the, 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 the dead of their enemies, which they said before they have, I'm pretty sure they've talked before about like eating from the heart of your enemy and stuff yeah, like that. that. Yeah. Um, but to actually know that that's, they take that literally that, that <laughs> was like for the first time, I think the Klingons are scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree. And that's, that's one of the reasons, like from the minute that we saw what they looked like, even I said, these are my Klingons because they, they do look, and I don't want to get into the whole thing about how they look, but they, they look similar to the JJ Klingons and those Klingons were menacing. And I was like, I hope that's what they look like. So we've got the look and now we're getting to know them. And yeah, I would not want to run into them in space. Um, so I, I completely agree with you. I think I just had a difficult time with it because I love that character so much. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, it, it's it's horrifying, but it, it does so much to set up your enemy. Now, I know that we're going to get to know them further down the line and we're going to see both sides of the story. But I mean, if you want to, like, just set up just a visceral reaction to how dangerous someone is, having them be cannibals of their enemies is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Carl, did you have any comments about that? Um, I mean, I kind of had the same reaction as you where I was a little, you know, horrified uh, by the the, the whole development. Um, But I I also see, you know, Matt's point in that it it does certainly make them more terrifying. As as far as the subtitles go, I, I thought it was a interesting device in the first couple episodes, but, and I think I said before, like, I think they should just do like a Peter Firth move like they did in, uh, uh, hunt for an October where all of a sudden they just say, we're, we're going to speak in English now, but they're really speaking Russian. And I think they should do the same thing with the Klingons at some point, because at least for me, I'm having a hard time taking in all of the really great visual work that they're doing with the Klingons and the sets and everything. When I'm reading subtitles the whole time, I mean, I, I like the sound of the Klingon language. I think it's it's a, and it, the fact that it actually is a language that has rules and makes sense um, and a lot of work went into it. But at the same time, I think it would be a lot easier of a show to watch if they did just switch over the language at, at some point. And with with the acknowledgement that they're only doing it for our benefit, they're not really speaking English to each other. Right. I mean, if they did something like that, I think it would be fine. Like I said, I just think that it would be problematic given that you know the motivations behind this entire crusade of theirs is 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 racial purity to have them start Mm -hmm. speaking english to each other that seems counterintuitive i mean it helps us as audience members it seems counterintuitive to for them in universe is what i'm saying yeah i agree with that and i think that i know there's difficulty i think jeff probably agrees like trying to read and then trying to watch <laughs> no the, yeah. I, I i totally i totally hear them but but that being said i i really got to commend these actors because i mean the makeup is probably like the worst klingon makeup that's been in the history of the series just in in terms of time and and comfort and all that sort of stuff but yeah. they mm-hmm. really like they they got the language pretty down like i don't speak klingon but the fact that um you know the, the the language seems to roll off their tongues pretty well, especially um, one of my favorite parts of this this episode was getting to learn about Laurel. Yeah, let's talk about Laurel. Oh, hold on one second. <laughs> me, yeah, go ahead, let Jeff. Me roll back one 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 really quick second to the uh, the Klingons eating. Uh, so I had two 
conflicting interpretations of that. And of course, the first interpretation is the one that you guys all brought up. And that was, you know, the Klingons eating, you know, humans or eating their enemies. But my, I, I was scratching my head wondering because of the context of the conversation that they're having when they mention it, it almost seems like it could have been interpreted as a revenge thing for her being one of the people that was responsible for killing Takuma, their messiah. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if that what what they were doing was to, you know, enact some sort of avenging type of a thing uh, on her on his behalf on her by eating her, or if that was just something that they normally do. Maybe down the road, if we find out they eat more humans, that blows <laughs> that theory out of the water. Yeah. But, well, um, I mean, we and we do know they were starving, so they needed to eat whatever they could eat. So I think there's a lot at play. I think it could be that. I think it could be just the Klingons have have done it, and this is just the first time we've really, really gotten upfront discussion mm-hmm. about it. Uh, well, I mean, like I said in the original series, the Kirk talks about how you know, oh, the Klingons—they're such barbarians, barbarians, barbarians—and I'm like, well, they're more brutal, but I would I wouldn't call them savage until yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, back to Lorel. Back to Lorel. <laughs> All right, so. And I was kind of, I'm saving her for the end, but that's okay, um, because I am completely taken with her. Um, I thought that Mary Chifo did an amazing job, not only of, you know, talking in the makeup, but, you know, facial expression in she, that makeup. She, she's a great actress with her eyes. That's yes. what I noticed from yeah. her performance. Yes. yes. Um, I, I thought that, you know, I was really kind of just, I don't know that I was surprised by what all happened with the Klingons, but um, surprised by Vok because when we met Vok um, in the in the, the prologue, we'll call it, uh, he seemed like a very strong, very sure warrior. You know, obviously didn't have much of a reputation, was an outcast, but you know, stuck his hand in the fire, proved himself, became the torchbearer. Mm-hmm. And I started to see a different version of Vok mm-hmm. the minute that he that he welcomed Cole onto the ship. Just the whole "What is Takuvma's house is your house." I I I know that the Klingons list you know his his house of the Klingons now are are wanting to um, join together, but I just found it kind of odd that he welcomed him on and believed everything he was going to say. What did you guys think about that? I mean, to me, I thought, I mean, Vok to me is like this zealot who is a very good follower, but has no clue how to lead and is so taken in with Takuvma's whole message and everything and his mythos and everything that all you have to do is play to that and he will go along. So, you know, when Cole comes back and and so easily gets in uh, Vok's good graces, and I even wrote him like this is not going to end well is what I wrote in my yeah. notes. Uh, <laughs> and so when he when he comes back uh, from the the you know harvesting the warp core and everything, and and it's like yeah, what did you expect was going to happen, buddy? Um, and to Laurel, I I I don't quite get her end game with. Either unless she thought she was going to be outright killed by not siding with Cole right from the, you know, immediately because she kind of joins in, plays along and then immediately goes back to Vok and is like, and, you know, now 
she's going to help him apparently in some way or another. Um, yeah. So I'm not quite I'm not quite sure what um, mine her her thought process is there. I'm sure we'll find out down the road. I was just going to say to to your first point, Heather, about Vok. Yeah, I I I totally see what you're coming from, but at the same time, he was willing to you know become Takuvma's apprentice, for lack of a better word. But just because the spirit was willing, I mean, he didn't have any time to learn from Takuvma before he was killed, mm-hmm. and he had this this now that this leadership role is thrust upon him because you know he did choose him as his successor. So, I mean inexperienced guy now leading this war. So yeah, yeah I, I think that he, we're seeing a, a leader who had not had any opportunity to benefit from watching other people lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he had a little too much faith in the people who were following Takuma and the fact that they would just follow him because he was the chosen successor. He just, he had too much faith in them that they wouldn't be able to be swayed by anybody else and then he was surprised when he came back and found out that oh yeah it didn't take much to get them to follow a new leader i mean to me he's he's very you know not quite the right analogy but he's very book smart like he knows like mm. the teachings of Takuvma, but he has no experience actually living it yeah. and yeah. i mean to the point where when we first meet him he's ready to just starve to death on this ship because he is unwilling to go and harvest apart from the enemy ship um which you know is great for I guess for you know ideological purity, but it's not really the way to lead a group of people. Yeah, no, he's it's not. He's not a pragmatist. He's a no, he's, he's an not. idealist. And yeah. and to the the point about Laurel, she says something near the beginning of this episode that I found very interesting, and it informed yeah. the, the the way the rest of the way I saw what she was doing. Yeah. So she she goes into this little monologue about her backstory and that how she was born, you know, a member of two houses, and one of the houses were like the the great deceivers or something like that the manipulators the mm-hmm. house makai mm-hmm. yep. and so my my feeling is is that you know to to coin a very cliched expression the female of the species is more deadly than the male yeah. i think she's the master manipulator and i mm-hmm. think she's having all these guys she's going whichever way the wind blows to suit her own purposes i think she has an end game in mind yeah i completely yeah. agree with you i was just going to mention um in that monologue she said you know she wound up she built a bridge between the houses to serve both of them and so i think that very clearly came into play when you know she seemed to side with and then popped back over to Vok. And then now she's going to take him to these matriarchs, which mm-hmm. I am so thrilled to see. <laughs> uh, you know, I just I'm really excited about that. But I I completely, completely back what you said, Matt. Um I think there's motive there. That's why she doesn't want to be the leader. And that's kind of what she said. You know, she wants to, she wants to be on the side. By, by the way, I, I didn't believe her when she said that. I mean, I I, I get that. You know, I know what she said in the moment, but like, I think she's trying to make Vok think that she's not a threat. You know what yeah. I mean? I, oh, I don't want your, your throne. I don't want your leadership. I'd rather stay behind you and support you. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I, I think that she's, she's far more clever than any of the men. Yeah. Well, and, and, and she's definitely working a game on Vok and it's working because of that whole scene where she says, you know, I could be your protector. I could be this. I could be your, 
you're, you're go out and, and campaign for you. And, and he just has this look in his eye. Like he's, I think he's smitten at this point. Oh yeah. And, and there, and there's that really fun. I don't know if it was men as a double entendre, but when she says, shall we uncouple? Oh yeah. And he just kind of, he kind of blinks and then, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, we're <laughs> trying to do a job here. You know, I was like, that, that's, that's a specific word choice that I was yes, like, there's gotta absolutely. be something, there's yeah. gotta be something to that. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that, you know, how she beams to the Shenzhou at the end of the episode and says, if Cole finds out he'll, I'm here, he'll kill me. Cole knows. I'm willing to bet anything Cole knows this is part of her plan. I'm so intrigued by what's going on. For some reason, uh, Vok and Laurel remind me of Rom and Lita, but like super dark versions. <laughs> There's something about, you know, you know, Rom was kind of kind of came into his own over the over the entirety of DS9 and Lita was kind of standing by him. I think that Laurel's gonna be much more vicious than Lita ever was. Sorry, zooming zooming really back out, this may be a kind of a, a goofy thing to say, but I, I have to say that I really enjoy the fact that they're making the Klingon storyline intriguing and interesting, just like they're doing with the Starfleet side. So I was yeah. a little bit worried that the Klingons were going to get a little bit pushed to the side and maybe only get, you know, not even a quarter of each episode. But I really like where this is going. So I'm, I'm equally interested to see what's going to happen uh, on both sides. For sure. Um, okay, so why don't we move on like Carl uh what what did you find in this episode that was new about Star Trek universe um well you you kind of hit the the, the point I was going to make so if if I'm allowed I would like to flip it around on its head a little bit yeah and say that you know for all the talk of how this isn't this isn't Star Trek this is different this isn't what quote unquote the fans want etc cetera, etc cetera, I found it strangely comforting to know that the Starfleet way of defending themselves has remained consistent throughout all of the shows where you have a you have um Corvan 2 which is by the way a very nice easter egg from the mm-hmm. next generation yeah. um is responsible for 40% of the dilithium refinery yet it's apparently not very well defended and once again they find a creative way of making the discovery the closest ship in range and that (laughs) even the closest ship in range won't get there in time so we need to use this magic new uh, travel technology to get there in time to save them so it was it was one of those things where it's like no matter how things change um some plot points will remain the same in plot convenience be the star yes be this the star trek we know and love in that starfleet sometimes just it's not very good at their job when it's not the main cut co- the main cast that we're talking about yeah <laughs> yeah but that's classic star trek right we always we warp in just at the last minute and you know the bomb always stops at one second it's it's one of those <laughs> things yeah i think the only that these episodes have a lot in them and i i love that they do um i love the the action i'm engaged throughout the entire episode i feel like if this had been more of an episodic show we would have seen more of the people like we got a a little bit of the people down on the planet but i don't know like we didn't really learn a whole lot about them it was just Mm kind of we pop in save the day oh who saved us i don't even know so i was kind of like oh okay you know all right there's been plenty of episodic ones where they just rescue someone and they don't really learn about them i mean yeah, it it didn't yeah. bother me that much, only because it's like, well, these are some of the tropes that I'm used to. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'd like if I could, I'd like to ask a question. And 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 mm-hmm. Jeff, you brought up the you know the interweaving of the Klingon storyline and and it 
you know, and keeping interest. Um, it's actually one of the things that's starting to nag at my head a little bit as I'm watching where I'm wondering if it would be better served to spend the episode that we're watching on, let's say, the Tardigrade story and have a Klingon episode down the road that is 99% Klingon with a little bit of the Discovery crew um, just to give each story enough chance to breathe because I felt that in each of the plot lines there was opportunity to do a little bit more with the story had they been given the extra you know 10 minutes of the episode that they could have had had they instead of trying to balance the two uh do do one or the other um other episodic or not episodic but serial shows tend to do that at times where they say we're going to focus on this group of people in this episode and and kind of push the others to the side a little bit and maybe they'll do that down the road but I really felt in this episode that both of the storylines would have been better served had they focused on one and not the other. I, I was just going to say, normally I, I think I might agree with you, but what worked for me in this episode is that both stories were working on the same common theme. And for me, the common theme that I found in this episode is idealism versus pragmatism. You know, uh, you have your idealists on both sides, that being like Vok for the Klingons and Burnham and what I'm sure is going to be her faction of the crew um, fighting for, for what, what their ideals are versus the pragmatists like Laurel or Lorca and Landry, not worrying about the, the, the ideals, just get things done so that we can win this war. And so that, that really worked for me. Yeah. I don't know. Following along with other modern serial shows that have done that type of a separation uh, in, in episodes, namely shows like walking dead, I find myself kind of losing interest or losing track of, you know, at least one of the storylines, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so much de- time dedicated, um, you know, and what you get like a whole one-hour episode on some other thing, and then you have to rely on the whole. Well, last time on Star Trek Discovery, yep. blah 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 blah, to catch me back up again. If this was if this was a, a like a like a Netflix show that all dropped at one time and you could just binge the whole thing, then yeah, that would definitely work, but. I think since we're being held on a weekly schedule at this hmm. point, I, I, I'm kind of favoring the way they're doing it now. All right. Um, Matt, did you have any any more input on things that we saw new in the Star Trek universe? Well, a little bit. And it, it's something that's new and yet something that feels familiar. And uh, we talked about the characters. We talked about how the universe itself deepens and all of that is wonderful. And I love the show for it. But like some of the the quote unquote cool things about this episode were I like this idea of the return to like, the, I, for lack of a better word, the aerodynamic starship. <laughs> the, sense that, uh, yeah. the, the sense when uh you know discovery that you know when it saucer rotates it just it reminded me of like voyagers uh warp nacelles when they go into warp it was just something cool that they've added that um i don't know it, it's it's those little touches that 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 make me happy as a fan and also too speaking of voyager um not only did i get a lot of horda in this episode i also got a lot of equinox mm-hmm. U- mm-hmm. using using these creatures that we don't understand for our own benefit. Yeah. I've, I've seen that mentioned several times. I, I'm really, I thought it was really cool to see what I lovingly call the disco ball. (laughs) 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 I, I thought that was really neat. And I thought we got some other cool technology, like uh, when they did the, the, uh, in the cold open, 
and they open on this this graphic and you're like what is going on like is this a storm is this oh yeah yeah, yeah I, I didn't know what it was standout moments <laughs> yeah then <laughs> we find out that it's the replicator making her uniform I thought that was pretty cool um and then i also really liked the hologram mirror in burnham's quarters yeah i forgot about that that was i thought that was pretty neat and uh, i had had not seen that before we had a mention of the the hawking radiation firewall Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I wonder if we'll ever find out what that is perhaps not Um, and uh, and elon musk got a shout out with zeph and cochran i noticed that too yeah uh so that that was kind of fun but that i think those were really kind of the standout things for me jeff did you have, have any that we didn't touch on two things uh one i i like that we're getting more drips and drabs of uh of what Lorca is really like some of his backstory. I, I like the fact that he's the captain of a science vessel, but he s- spends so much time studying war and weapons. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's interesting. I think it's going to really come full circle here soon. And now that he's really declared that they're a warship, let's see. And also this is a little strange, but I, I like the fact that no matter where you are in the universe, if somebody wills you something, it follows you there. It comes in a box and it verifies <laughs> that it's you when you open it. I guess it's not you don't have to go to the the hearing anymore or the the reading of the will to get your stuff it just comes to you. Yeah. Not not when there's space UPS. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All really cool stuff. <laughs> um so let's go ahead and move into our last segment. Let's spin it again and look back at some standout moments, characters, whatever you got. Carl, why don't you start us off? Okay. So a couple of things little small ones um i loved uh, i've really enjoyed the the one-liner writing and and i don't mean that quite as a joke but i feel like there's a lot of really good standout quotes that have been sprinkled throughout most of the episodes um including this one the ones i wrote down were um when saru says my ganglia remain unconvinced (laughs) when (laughs) when um burnham is saying that she's not going to be a problem and I think what might be my favorite Stamets line so far is when they're going to confront the tardigrade and he has a phaser and he yeah. says, think of it as a placebo for my skepticism. <laughs> really good. Um, <laughs> which I think it, it's a great line of dialogue just, for, for that character. I like to like, I've always, I've always wanted to talk to my mushrooms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, a little what? banter that he has with his, uh, I think the doctor is his, his partner. partner. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. yeah. Which, which, when he uh, said, when he, Oh, when he just uh, says the frontal lobe is overrated. Yeah. <laughs> well, well you, and you could see what I want, what I wanted to see in that, um, you know, they, they don't really come out and explicitly say there are a couple yet, but I can mm-hmm. tell that that uh, the doctor is going to be a nice balancing force for for Stamets because he can get a little. We, we saw last week he could get, get a little carried away in his own yeah. head and his own in his own ego, and I can tell he's going to be a good balance because right after he talks about the frontal lobe, he's like, "Well, I'll leave it intact just in case you decide to have a feeling sometime." <laughs> <laughs> so good. So and, good. And then Stamets had my other one of my other favorite moments, and it's a really minor one when they let the tardigrade wander into the mushrooms. And he just he has this smile that just slowly appears on his face where you could see just he's finally doing science again, I think, where he's like, This is why this is what I'm here to this do. This is what he I, likes. This, yeah. Yeah, this is this yeah. is what I love doing. And and I thought that um, you know, Anthony Rapp, who's been he, he's he's always good in everything I've seen him in, but he he does a great job uh, just conveying these little things like that. 
can I just say now that I'm on this podcast, I have no idea if he'll ever listen, but he's been so awesome with the fans on Twitter, like just so open with all of us. And, uh, you know, I I know he's had to take abuse from some of the peanut gallery fans, but he's been such a trooper and so kind and so warm. So, you know, if you're listening, Anthony, thank you very much. We love you. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Anything else, Carl? Um, going through my notes here, um, that, that I'll, I, I'm sure it'll, it'll come up during, uh, conversation. Um, but that's, that's all I got yeah. really. No one's, no one's talked about mine yet. So I'm hoping oh, like okay. I can, <laughs> oh, please. I don't want to take everybody. So yeah, please, jump ahead. right yeah. in. Go ahead, Matt. The, I, I knew what my standout moment was the first time I watched this episode because it is the first time that Star Trek has earned, genuine tears of emotion from me since the opening of 2009 and that's uh Giorgio's final speech to final will and testament to Burnham yeah I love Michelle Yeoh and I I I love that character she's she's been with us for what three episodes three and a half two and a half episodes maybe but there's so much that character that I find so endearing and that eulogy well it's not a eulogy but you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it 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 will it blows something like Tasha Yars out of the water I'll say that much um uh but that was just so well done I thought that was the perfect note to end on and she represents I Giorgio, I think she represents what Starfleet is going to become. Yeah. You know, the 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 yeah. idealistic future. And I think that Burnham is, you know, by, because she received this will, she's going to be inspired to do that. So some of the the problems that you had Heather with the fact that she didn't let the creature out, you know, Giorgio says something very specific is like but most important take care of those under your mm-hmm. care. Yeah. And she's not a captain, but this creature is under her care. Yeah. So my feeling is, is that, you know, the, the series is going to come full circle where we started off and she was a mutineer for the wrong reasons. And I think she's going to end up as a mutineer for the right reasons. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And I've I've been saying as we go through these episodes and forgive me for offending anyone, but if you can't find, you know, the positivity, the hope, the optimism of Star Trek in this Discovery, you're just not looking hard enough. Um, it has been in every episode. It's been in the writing. It's been along with Michael Burnham, despite her actions. Um, she still carries a lot of that within her and what she says. It's in characters like Tilly. But this message from Giorgio really really represents that. And I feel like now, now hopefully people can see that this, this is Star Trek. It's, it's going to evolve into what we know. It's we're, we're getting there. That's the thing is that I think people don't realize is that, you know, we're so used to non-serialized storytelling with this franchise, but this is the first time we're trying this new experiment. If you don't count like enterprise season three, Uh, (laughs) um, but this is the first time we're trying this self-contained story, and it wouldn't make much sense if we just started off as we already were in TOS. We have to get there. Yeah, we And do. I think that the journey, the fun, the, the discovery, pun fully intended this time, is going to be how we get there. Yeah. I for, for me, you know, Star Trek has been so much of who we, who we want to be, um, what we want to who we want to be in the future. And right now I think discovery is very reflective of who we are. Um, it's so, so spot on, um, with, with just 
putting a mirror in front of our faces, you know, Star Trek is supposed to do. Absolutely. And they've, you know, they've always done it, you know, as a metaphor as, oh, well, this is how we are in the future. And, you know, this is how we evolved. And we're, yeah, we still struggle with some of this, but we're, we're an evolved people. And right now we're not quite there yet. Um, so for me, I mean, I, I really, can I just say this now, guys, I really think that discovery is my Star Trek. I think so too. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say that at, at this point, like I I'm trying to not let the recency effect bias me, mm-hmm. but like right now I have to say that like DS9 and discovery are neck and neck yeah, for me. I, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to see how, just how this season ends, but this is ex- like, I'm so happy because this is exactly everything I wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love hearing it. Um, all right. Was there anything else that really stood out that you want to just do a special shout out for again? I, I, I would like to get to give another shout out. I did it last week on Twitter, but you know, Tilly is such a character that could easily be written to be so annoying. I mean, she could yeah. easily be the Mayweather or the Harry Kim of the series. But what I like about her is that, yeah, she has her own personal foibles, don't we all? But she knows how to do her job. And she's incredibly perceptive for someone of her age. I love the I love the fact that it's her who motivates Burnham to listen to the will. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's such an earnestness to her. That isn't there. And, you know, I mean, Harry Kim was just naive and inexperienced and kind of bumbling at times, and it became frustrating. And and I thought Mayweather was very similar, whereas, you know, she is still young, but she recognizes, like, her own faults. And, and she you recognizes could, you could a lot that in she's other gonna people. Grow. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, did you want to pop in with anything? Well, <clears throat> two things. One, um, this is kind of an, uh, an overarching longer term sort of thing that that stood out to me in this episode that was something I was wondering about from earlier. And one of the points that I had made on, an, um, I was on Discovering Trek for one of their shows uh, with the Trek geeks. And one of the things that I said there that was for the, the first episode was I, I was curious to see how they were going to get from Klingons in episode one of Discovery to Klingons that we know in the future. And now this episode of Discovery, I was scratching my head thinking, how are we going to not let the spore drive be a thing at the end of discovery. Like you, they, they have to get rid of it somehow. And I think this brings up maybe how the spore drive is going to wind up being either outlawed or, or decommissioned at some point so that they don't have to address that in the future. Uh, the, I, I was lamenting the, the sequel slash prequel thing, but I like thinking about how we're going to get from where we are today to where we know we're going to be uh, in the future. That's exactly right. I mean, that's that, that that's kind of what what I wanted to leave as my parting thought is that, um, you know, like you said, Heather, there's a lot of people that can't find the hope here. But for me, the hope isn't so much as it was in TOS where like, here's where we'll be in the future and all that sort of stuff. Given our current political, social, world climate, whatever you want to say, things are not good right now, Mm -hmm. to say the least. Mm -hmm. So, And things are not good for for Starfleet and the Discovery in this. So I think the hope from this series is not who we are in the future. It's that the fact that as bad as things are, we can still get to that point in TOS. Hope is not lost. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I've been thinking about this as you've been talking about, you know, and, and especially, Matt, you saying, you know, this and Deep Space Nine are really 
you know, your two favorite shows that, and Deep Space Nine is certainly my favorite now, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a better opinion of Discovery up further along. But to me, it almost seems like that, that old saying of like things go in cycles. And there's a lot of like the inter Armin in M. Singlet Legus episode or section 31 or, you know, um, Admiral Layton and those types of people in, you know, Captain Lorca and the people that are pushing this agenda where, you know, they're like, you know, maybe we, we are a science-based, you know, organization, but in war, you know, we have to win at all costs, you know, in times of war, the law falls silent. I completely agree with you that the, that the arc of the story is to get to the bright light at the end of the tunnel that is the world of TOS. It's not going to, you're not going to start there. You have to get there some way. Mm-hmm. And I really like the idea. I hadn't thought of this where you, you know, said that Captain Georgiou is going to be the example of what that person is going to be like. And hopefully Michael Burnham will reach that point by becoming more like her as we go. Yeah. So I guess I will kind of wrap up this part of the discussion. I don't know if you guys noticed and I don't have the exact dialogue, but there was a little lower decks shout out there when they were talking about finding Ripper, the tardigrade in the lower decks. And Mm. then the first time that she mentions it, it's like, it's just in conversation. Station, but then she kind of calls it out and I just it just stood out to me and it did because so many people have been referring to discovery as a lower decks type of theme um, mm. where they're they're not necessarily following all of the main officers on the ship. Uh, so I don't know that that was really meant to stand out. It just stood out to me. But uh, we've kind of covered a, a lot of what I have. So I'm going to. I'm going to do a little shout out to the fact that we got to see some new some new crew members of the Discovery this time. On the bridge, there are there are four that I have names for aside from Dr. Hugh Culver, who we met and who we talked about earlier. I had to I watched most of After Trek, but somehow I missed they did a little um, screenshot of each of these four characters from the bridge with their name, their station, if they were human, if they were alien, et cetera. And mm-hmm. so Kayla Detmer, like she had been on the Shenzhou. Right. Um, she's she's mm-hmm. the one that we saw in the last episode in the mess hall. She's got um, some kind of an implant that I assume is from an injury. From that battle. From the battle, yeah. Um, so we see her. She's con officer now. We see the character Arium, who a lot of people thought was an android of some sort. Um, she's actually... Um, an alien? Well, shoot, let me find. So I tweeted out the little screenshots of who everyone is, and I should just refer to those and not to my notes. <laughs> I wrote spare notes. All right. So Arium, um, she's lieutenant commander. She's the spore drives op officer, and she's an augmented alien. So it doesn't say what species alien she is. Um, and I definitely understand why people thought she was like some kind of a robot droid because she has kind of that sound to her voice mm-hmm. uh, she's the one that kind of had the helmet on oh the deaf punk helmet no, no that, that's looks, a different oh. character yeah oh, that, okay she kind of looks like the a cross between like a robot and a binar on yeah. the discovery oh, bridge yeah, yeah, okay yep yeah yep. um so there was that character um there is so okay i'm going to try to say this name and not butcher it but joanne Owosekan. Uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade Ops Officer. She's the uh, African-American woman. Yeah. 
and then and then we had the guy that everyone's talking about. I know. This is like I was gonna say, <laughs> Claire was just on this rampage yes. last night on Twitter, and I'm like, I don't know what you want, girl. The guy's hot. Why not have him on screen? Our our buddy, his name is Milton Richter. He's a lieutenant. He's a communications officer, uh, and I it. I found that hilarious because I said the same thing to my partner. I was like, who is that dude? Like they just keep showing him standing on the bridge. Like he wasn't even really reacting during these reaction scenes. He did, uh, you know, he, he did react when they, they won the battle at the end. I, yeah. Cause I, I did notice that, like, thanks to Claire, when I rewatched this episode right before we did this show, I was paying attention to him. Cause I really didn't notice him the first time. Yeah. Um, but if I were the camera, I would cut back to him too. Just <laughs> I think that's a pretty uh, popular opinion, uh, but I thought it was really cool. And I mean, it doesn't in any way make up for losing like two of these, you know, main women of color characters. But it was it's still nice to see diversity on the bridge and more women. And I'm also kind of excited that all of the officers are young. You know, obviously Captain Lorca is a little older. Um, you know, the captains are older, but it seems like everyone else uh, is is younger, and I think that's kind of neat. And also, kind of shout out there to Lower Decks. Well, there also is too, also, I mean, yeah. you have, you have to figure that. Like, I wish we saw more of this during the Dominion War, actually. But you kind of figure like some of these people are being drafted, or like they're they're yeah. fast they're yeah. fast tracked through the academy because they need the people. Yeah, and you know that kind of calls back to a point. That, that Jeff was talking about with Captain Lorca, you know, I wondered, like, was Captain Lorca actually the captain when when Discovery was commissioned to be a science vessel? Or was he moved over once they went into war? Yeah, I That's a good question. Like, we'll find uh, out. I, I almost want, yeah, it was like, you know, like kind of like a Captain Jellico scenario where they said, you know, this guy needs to be in charge of this crew now because... Or, like, you the know, mission has changed, you know. Section 31 could have pulled some strings. They, like, they get, could get, have, yeah. get this guy into the, the captain's chair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just find it very odd because obviously he's, you know, he studies war. He said that he studies war and um, has his little shop of horrors, which, oh, quick shout out um, to my friend Lisa on Twitter because she tweeted earlier today. Uh, let me find the picture. And just so everyone knows, Lisa is Star Trek Wreck. Uh, she tweeted a photo of Lorca and Burnham um, in Lorca's Shop of Horrors, as I like to call it. There is a Horta. Like, yep. I am. The, there is? The yes. They're on the table, yeah. Behind, behind Burnham, right? Yep. It's in a case. And if you look at it, it looks like, you know, pizza monster <laughs> Horta. So no one else has really called that out. I definitely didn't see it. Um, oh, I thought wow. that that was pretty pretty awesome homage see just like the, the attention to detail is, yeah. is great mm -hmm. it's it's absolutely amazing and you know every episode has these easter eggs and i feel like you know i need a, a gosh what would it be third fourth rewatch at this point to to sit down and pick out every single one um well but, I, have, I, I have a feeling that like ds9 now once all this once the season is out this series is going to be awesome for binge watching yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna. I mean, I've I've been having a hard time like not going back and just rewatching all the episodes before the next one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I I may have already done that before this one. All right. So I think I will go ahead and wrap this up with um, my final shout out, and that is 
to the ongoing theme of Alice in Wonderland. Yes. Uh, we've I've mentioned it um, since the first episode, this theme of her being lost, much like Alice is lost. And, and this episode really brought it home with the tardigrade. Um, you know, when when they're studying the the tardigrade, she and Landry, uh, she she noticed she notes she said, "How do you know it's a monster?" And said, "You judge the creature by its appearance, by one single incident from its past. It can only be what it is, not what you want it to be." And I went back and did some Alice research. And um, I just want to say this little quote that I, I find really works with this episode. Um, the quote is, in Wonderland, Alice struggles with the important... Let me start over. In Wonderland, Alice struggles with the importance and instability of personal identity. She is constantly ordered to identify herself by the creatures she meets, but she herself has doubts about her identity as well. And I kind of wonder if she's sees herself in this creature at all but also just how she's she's coming to to find herself when you know meeting this tardigrade and seeing that it's hurting and she knows that it's hurting um and just like that little connection with georgiou saying to take care of you know those under your care those under your care it it just kind of all comes back to me and i hope that made sense since i kind of read it strangely but I thought that was really neat that here she is meeting this creature, um, having to confront herself, what she what she I think we know she, what she needs to do. And I think that she eventually will. I think that, you know, we're, we're going to see her redeem this creature, look out for this creature. I'm really enthralled by the ongoing theme of Alice and curious to see how it all plays in at the end of the series or the season, I guess. Right. I mean, I know he hasn't written any of the episodes yet so far, but that feels so Nicholas Meyer to me, just alluding Mm -hmm. to to old books and old literature. That feels like something he probably had something to do with, and it works just as well here as it did back in Star Trek 2 and 6, I think. Awesome. All right. Uh, Jeff, do you want to take us on out? Because you're better at this than I am. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So, um, guys, thanks for being here and congratulations on winning once again. So Carl wonders, can you tell people where they can catch up with you on social media? if They want to talk more discovery. Sure. I can be found uh, on Twitter, um, at Carl wonders, uh, just one word all together. Um, I have a blog that is on temporary hiatus at the moment, but it can be found at listening to film.net. Cool. And uh, Mr. Matt Hansen, where can people find you if they want to chat disco? So they can find me on Twitter at mhansen0207, H-A-N-S-E-N. Also, I sometimes co-host the filibuster on the Nerd Party Network, and I more frequently co-host Upper Pylon 2, a DS9 review podcast on the Trekmate Network, which has been very fun, but I must say that now that new Star Trek is out, it's kind of hard to go back and talk about old when we can talk, sit, here, sit here dissecting <laughs> the new. <laughs> Yeah. Not that not that I don't love DS9, but I mean, it, it's tempting. So Heather Barker, how about you? So on Twitter, I am LLA Posper. And then just so everyone remembers, pop over to the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group where myself and our good friend Jesse and you are moderators. We will let you write in and look out for our Disco Trek posts so that you can comment and be entered to pop on the show. 
All right. And I am Warp Factor Jeff on Twitter if you're looking for me. And you can find the show at thetricordertransmissions.com, shoreleavepodcast.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at disco underscore track. And don't forget our voicemail number is 609-512-LLAP. We look forward to hearing from you guys. We can read some of your comments at the end of the show. And I guess that brings us to the end of Disco Trek. And we'll be back with you guys next week. Same time, same place. 